0: You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com
1: for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome into another episode of the MLB Pipeline Podcast. I'm Jonathan Mayo. Joined once again by Sam Dijkstra. We're the dynamic duo now of Pipeline Podcasting, Sam.
0: Yeah, this is how takeovers happen, right? I think so. It's slowly, and then every week it's just the two of us, and then we have a spinoff. Yeah, this is going to turn into Fraser.
1: <laughs> Wait, am I am I Niles then? I mean, we're doing a, basically a, the modern version of a radio program, so I don't know who's who, but we're both Fraser. I think in this. we're both Fraser. Okay, I'll t- I'll, I'll take it. We, we've got uh, some great things to talk about. As always, uh, a lot more September call-ups uh, have happened, some some exciting debuts to talk about. We're going to look a little further into the uh, crystal ball and, and take a look at the top prospects in all of 2020-24. Uh, that's a, a top 100 preview. So make sure you write these down and, and uh, see if uh, we were right a couple years from now. Uh, the complex leagues have wrapped up. So we're going to take a look at some of the top performers from the, the rookie level leagues and uh, guys even further off, perhaps into the future. And then, of course, as always, we will finish off with our mailbag and answer one of your questions. Sam, how was your Labor Day weekend?
0: It was good. It was good. Uh, Labor Day fell on my mom's birthday this year. Um, so Happy birthday, Sam's mom. Yeah, I was back home celebrating her, hanging out with family, seeing my nephew and nieces. Um, so it was a very good long weekend, good relaxing. It feels like everybody else celebrates it as like the last weekend of summer. It doesn't feel that way to anybody who works in baseball.
1: No, it's not even a day off, like really, you know, in, in, in the baseball world. Right. So, uh, yeah, I, I spent some of yesterday talking to some scouts for a top 20 high school 2023 list that I'm, I'm working on this week. Uh, so, I you know, I didn't spend too much time working. I uh, did go see... We watched Elvis yesterday, the movie Elvis. I don't know if you've seen that one.
0: I have. I, I saw it in theaters. What did I, you uh,
1: I thought it was really good. Uh, Baz Luhrmann uh, you know, directed it. He's he's always got an interesting perspective, but I thought it was very well done. Did you like it? I, I liked the Elvis
0: parts. I did not like so much the manager parts. I didn't like the framing of it when it was through his eyes. I would love to just see an Elvis movie. That's just, let's tell the story of Elvis instead of through this like fever dream of his manager, who's dying in a hospital bed, so like you're not sure exactly what's true and how much he's trying to warp uh-huh. as part of the story. See, I
1: thought, but I think, see, the thing I think that made it interesting, um, and we're completely off the rails right at the start here, and I love it. Um, <laughs> is that uh, everyone knows the Elvis story? I mean, you know, they don't know the like the ins and outs, but like everyone, like he's he's so well known that I kind of like the fact that they try to make it seem as if. The manager was trying to portray himself as the protagonist when everyone knows he wasn't.
0: Yeah, I, I think that could have worked like 20 years ago, but I think there's a whole you know you'd look at who goes to movies now, who's like the target demographic. I don't think people really know much about Elvis beyond the songs and beyond what was on the yeah, stage
1: and and the end and the end of his life. I think most people sort of know and the end of his life. right. That's fair. That's fair. I mean, that said, Tom Hanks is is Tom Hanks, so like uh, yeah oh i'm i'm in forever yeah and i was saying it's been a while since he's gotten an oscar nomination i think the uh the drought is going to end um and then we uh then we we went and saw nope in the theaters we hadn't seen that one yet and i am i am very much a jordan peele fan yeah i was gonna say much higher on nope yes they're very similar films really that was very enjoyable um (laughs) uh yeah very very good so uh yeah, we we had a lot of rain this weekend, so we kind of took advantage of the of the weather to, to do that. Anyway, there was lots of baseball. Uh, ironically, here in Pittsburgh, they canceled Monday's Labor Day Mets Pirates game because it was going to rain all day, and then it stopped raining, so uh, they didn't play here in the in the big league level. But there's a lot going on. A lot of guys getting called up. Uh, you know, we we talked a, a lot we last week about guys we were planning to see, guys we were hoping to see. Uh, a lot of that's come to fruition. Um, and it's funny, I'm looking here, Sam, at the three top 100 guys who got called up since last we talked, and they're all Jim Callis's guys.
0: <laughs> I thought about that, too, when we were trying to think about what to talk about this week. Uh, and we were like, well, the call make sense, but they're also not our guy. I mean, we know enough about them. We rank them sure. the top 100. We all vote on yeah, we we can certainly have a conversation on it, but yeah, Jim goes on vacation for two weeks, and it's just a flood of his guys going to the majors.
1: Right, and it and it is kind of funny given the fact that he, you know, Jim, uh, and and I mean this with all love, is you know can get a little territorial. He's very protective of his guys, um, but we we have no choice but to talk about his guys right now.
0: No, that, that's just the the you know I I wish I could put in calls to farm directors and be like, hey, maybe call
1: up somebody from your team. Yeah. Dude, seriously, can we yeah. cuz it's the farm directors who decide that. Right, right. Yeah. Right. <laughs> All right, well let's uh let's start with Hunter Brown. Um because he is the and we sort of break the the call-ups into two categories. There are the prospects who are going to call get called up and help a team contending or headed to the playoffs. And then there are the guys for the non-contenders who are getting kind of a a lengthy audition so to speak. You know, for for next year. So obviously, the Astros are headed to the playoffs. You know, we talked last week even about what Hunter Brown could do, uh, whether it's even just giving guys a chance to to rest their arms heading into the postseason. But uh, you know, if his if his major league debut is any indication, Sam, Hunter Brown has a chance to impact this team uh, in October.
0: Yeah, I mean, you know, looking back at. What we thought about Hunter Brown, and I think you picked him amongst your uh, five players getting called up last week. You did cheat, but we didn't know his debut was going to come this late. Like, we knew he was getting added, but we weren't sure when his first outing was going to be, whether it was bullpen, start, what have you. Made the start yesterday, looked sensational. Uh, You know, was topping out at 98 on the radar gun, was throwing a curveball and a slider. that were each getting swings and misses um the slider especially impressed me in what i saw because it was averaging 93 miles an hour yeah that's ridiculous it's insane like his minimum slider was 89.9 miles an hour i have the baseball zavante up now didn't really throw much of a change up but we always knew with Hunter brown it was stuff right like the stuff has always been there for him it's how well can he throw strikes he walked one in six innings yesterday Against major league pitching, the the control worked. Struck out five, only allowed three hits and six scoreless innings. Um, so certainly looked the part of a major leaguer yesterday for Houston. And you know, like we were saying, is he going to be a reliever for them? Is he going to be a starter for them in the playoffs? What well, see? But he gave uh, Dusty Baker and his crew a lot to think about the way he came out yesterday.
1: Yeah, it's such a great uh, way to have a guy come come in because you know, they, they've got a playoff spot locked up. They, they can kind of do whatever they want with him and the roster as they try to figure things out. Uh, you know, <laughs> he could start every five days for the rest of the month to give guys an extra day rest, and then they'd be like, you know what, thank you for doing that, and you're done. I, I just think that there's so many different possibilities here. Um, and, you know, I guess when you have two different breaking balls that are that effective, you don't really need to change up uh, especially the first time around the league, no one's going to get that good of a look at him where I, I think, and maybe he starts, you know, throwing that, you know, folding that in more if, if people start getting a, uh, you know, to track his other stuff, but his the other stuff is so good. I mean, I think I would let him start and then you can see where the health of your rotation is because you could shorten him up and put him in the bullpen and he could go multiple innings, uh, you know, especially those short, those short series in the playoffs, where let's say your starter gets knocked around and but you're going to need him again for game 4 or whatever it is you bring Hunter Brown in and he could go four innings out of the bullpen and really be a lifesaver. I think there are I think the Astros have a lot of options and they could be very creative with how they use Hunter Brown.
0: Yeah, and especially the way he came off yesterday. Uh you know, if he had struggled a little bit then you'd be like, okay, well now it's an actual debate like should we keep him lengthened out or if we really do see him as a bullpen arm, shorten him up now just to get him used to that in case he gets big innings in October and it's only one or two innings and it's coming in the fifth and, you know, that's off your routine. But when he pitches like he did yesterday uh, and the stuff plays as well as he did, I mentioned the slider. It's the hardest slider in Major League Baseball this year other than Jacob DeGrom. Yeah. That's the the category he's put himself into. And I know there were Twitter videos yesterday of comparing – his delivery with Justin Verlander's and how, you know, Brown has said he watched Justin Verlander growing up and that's who he models himself after heck of a team to play for. If that's your, if that's your model. Um, But, you know, I think you just, you keep giving him starts until either the rotation really is too crowded and you're forced to shorten him up or he makes a misstep. And so far he hasn't.
1: Yeah. uh, It's, it's interesting. Even uh, Martin Maldonado, the catcher, use the, the Verlander comp, the, the younger Verlander. So, uh, so far, so good. Uh, all right. The, uh, the other call up uh, in terms of impacting a playoff race was uh, Oswald Peraza, uh, who was called up by the Yankees. Uh, he, he's gone 0 for 7. So, you know, they should pull the plug right now. Uh, it, it, Honestly, you know they, they brought him up to 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 help out in the middle infield. He he's made one start at short and one start at second base. Uh, obviously, the Yankees are you know uh, holding on to the lead in the uh, in the AL East. Uh, they're going to head to the playoffs. Also, I know they've had a little bit of a a dip of late, though they you know they've won two straight now and have a five game lead over the Rays. Um, you know, it, it seems to me, I think, you know, you don't call him up not to have him play. Uh, and he provides strong defense on both sides of second base. I, I think we both thought, you know, we probably would see more time at shortstop or that would be more of a of an upgrade potentially. Uh, you know, what do you see the Yankees doing with uh, with Peraza? And I'm, you know, I'm going to go under the assumption that he, he'll find his footing. And he may not put up huge numbers uh, down the stretch here, but uh, they can, you know, uh, they can sort of, Let him, they can see what he can do. How long of a leash do you think the Yankees will have here?
0: Yeah, I mean, it's going to be fascinating how much a leash they have with any of their players, not named Aaron Judge, their position players. I Hmm. mean, Anthony Rizzo, like there's other guys who are are going to get a lot of leadway right now. But this is a team, it feels like in free fall for a couple weeks now. And, you know, how do you turn things around? Well, you add new blood, you bring guys in. Obviously, the trade deadline is past us. So, the next best thing you can do is bring somebody up from the minors. Barraza is a well regarded prospect. And, and, like you said, I think we're higher on his defense than his offense. Um, if you're looking for him to come up and immediately replace Isaiah Kiner Falefa and be a better offensive player than he is, he's just not proven. Like, it, it, he did pretty well at AAA. He batted 259 at a 777 OPS there. Um, so the bat can play, is it going to be better than Connor of who has major league experience and obviously is going through a rough year. It's not a guarantee, but you need to see what it can, what he can be there. Labor Torres, as good as he's been offensively in the past, he hasn't been great lately either. Right. So that's why you're getting Praza at second base looks there because he can play that defensively. That's not a concern. Um, and you know, Torres has moved around defensively in the last few years. So he's just another option for them. I I would love to say they brought him up to play him every day, but it just feels like they just need bodies. They need to keep throwing guys at problems at holes and seeing if they plug them. Um, and Praza is another guy right now. I mean, we're still higher on Volpe as an offensive force. And, you know, th- that's why I think Jim was always making the case that, Hey, maybe they would call Volpe because he's more ready offensively. Um, but, you know, Praza earned this look because he's been at AAA all year. Um, if it wasn't coming now and, the Yankees really needed shortstop help it wasn't going to come um so is he a guaranteed boost to the Yankees that's to be seen but they need anything they can get right now to hold off the Rays in the AL East and hopefully he's going to get more looks I mean like you said it's just been two starts so far over for 7 uh he does have one hit by pitch that's the only way he's reached face to this point um so hopefully more looks will ha- allow him to adjust to major league pitching but I think he's just another option I don't think he's necessarily going to be an everyday guy for
1: Aaron Boone right right and I agree with that and he's not he doesn't profile uh you know he was, was not a as an elite level of a prospect yes you know top 100 guy uh, You guys know, I think it was discussed in the past uh this is a guy I actually thought might get traded uh because he had Anthony Volpe behind him and I, I think it would you know Volpe's in AAA now and and he, he's very very close but that, that would have been quite a leap uh, not that teams haven't haven't done that as we saw with the Atlanta Braves, but some of that, you know, them calling him Von Grissom up was out of necessity. They didn't really have other options while the Yankees did, but he does not, Peraza does not scream one of these guys who was in AAA who like, you really need to let, you know, see what he can do, uh, you know, uh, at, at the major league level. Uh, like we've seen with some of the other call-ups over the last week, week and a half, uh, you know, even, you know, we shift gears a little bit now to, to the Red Sox, uh you know team not in contention uh tristan casas you, you needed to see what he was capable of doing uh, not that he's super old not that he was you know lighting the world on fire but i i think the time had come he spent enough time at the upper levels to show what he could do um and um you know, and so it was time to, to call him up. And, you know, he's a guy who's you know, first base, corner infield profile, ton of power. And of course, his first big league hit is an infield single.
0: Yeah, a booted uh, ball at shortstop. Uh, one of my favorite things about the Costas call up, uh, and I wasn't able to work this into the story, but I still love it. And I'm going to bring it up here. Uh, the Red Sox now have two six foot four left handed hitting first baseman, from Plantation, Florida. One is Tristan Casas. The other is Eric Cosmer. Uh, <laughs> they, they, Eric Cosmer even said, you know, reading some of the reports from Fenway the other day, um, he's been hearing about Casas for a long time, being from his hometown, uh, knowing he played first base. Now the fact that they're in the same organization. Jarosmer was acquired at the trade deadline. It's just a neat story. But Tristan Casas is the future of first base at Fenway Park. Um, like you were talking about, like, he had an ankle injury in the middle of yeah. the year. Maybe we would have been talking about his call before that, but he he struggled a little bit in AAA before that ankle injury. He's come back at ever since, hitting around 300. Um, the power hasn't played as much, but he's still capable of cranking 450-plus foot home runs uh, when he really tries to tap into his pull-side power. One of the reasons we've always been high on him is it is his advanced approach. Yeah. Um, if, if you ever watch him with two strikes, and I'm sure you saw some of this last year in the fall league, as did I, Jonathan, but he spreads out. It's a really old school approach. He really spreads out in the box. He chokes up. He wants to make contact. And for somebody who has plus plus raw power, he doesn't strike out as much as you would expect because he really prides himself on putting the ball in play. Sometimes that's to the detriment of power. But again, you're, when you're hitting around 300, you can kind of live with that. Uh, It's good defense at first base, good soft hands. It's a former third baseman. So the arm certainly plays. He pitched in high school. Um, as well-rounded a, a first-base prospect as really you're going to find in the game today. Uh, and with the Red Sox having a hole at first base, Hosmer's injured right now. Bobby Dahlbeck has really struggled. He was actually optioned to Triple A Worcester to make room for Casas. Uh, Franchi Cordero has not been the answer there. They folded in Christian Arroyo with some starts at first base, but he's better as a utility infielder. Now is the time to give Casas a shot. Give him a couple weeks, even if he struggles now it's going to be laying that groundwork for 2023 when he'll still have rookie eligibility in all likelihood and uh, a big piece of Boston's present, you know, putting another homegrown infielder on that infield alongside Xander Bogarts and Rafael Devers.
1: Yeah, and I think that um, the power is going to come, you know, and I'm all for guys who, like, I, no one's ever doubted. You just look at him. Like, there's going to be power. Now, there have been guys his size who who don't end up being pure power guys, but I I, I think that's fine. And I, I actually like the philosophy to develop, continue to develop the hit tool knowing that he is going to start getting to that power consistently. I mean, that swing at Fenway Park, he doesn't have to do a whole lot to, you know, to learn how to, You know, maybe bring his hands in a little more frequently uh, on the inside. I mean, I don't know why anyone would try to pitch him inside. Uh, He's he's going to hit have power to all fields, but with that that short poke down you know down the right field line, like it's going to come. And I would rather have a complete hitter who's going to hit for power than than the other way around. I know maybe you know the the way baseball works these days. That's not true. Um, but, uh, you know, he, he showed off some good defense and evidently, I don't know if you saw any of the reports, but I guess he's solar powered. Um, (laughs) I did see that. Yeah. yeah. He, his pregame routine was just sort of (laughs) lying out and soaking up rays. He doesn't, uh, you know, he doesn't do energy drinks or coffee. Um, so he just goes out, and soaks up some sun. Um, I want to see whether he's doing that in early April in Boston. Uh, cause that's a whole different thing. Um, but he just said, you know, I guess he's from South Florida. So that's what he's used to doing.
0: Yeah. I mean, if, if that's all it takes is laying out in the sun every morning, I got to change my morning routine, I think. But, uh, yeah,
1: I live in Pittsburgh <laughs> and so the sun comes out, you know, not so often. So I don't think that would work as well, but, uh, you know, uh, maybe we should all try it. A little vitamin D, uh, can, can never hurt. There you go. Uh, all right, so the last guy we want to kind of give uh, a shout out to uh, is not a top 100 guy, uh, but uh, the the debut was impressive enough, and you know Ryan Nelson came up for the Diamondbacks, and this is in this case uh, getting a chance to show what you can do for a team not competing, uh, a guy who you was know, hoping to to be a part of the Diamondbacks rotation in, in 2023 and beyond. And it, yeah, let's we'll see what he does the rest of the way, but I don't think that you could have asked for a, a better debut from the Diamondbacks number eight prospect.
0: No, I mean, it, it was really fascinating. Uh, this stat comes from Sarah Lang's uh, MLB stat, stat Lord, basically in many ways. Um, but Hunter Brown and Ryan Nelson, uh, both through scoreless starts of six-plus innings on the same day in which they made their MLB debuts. It's the third time since at least 1901 that two pitchers have made their MLB debuts with scoreless starts of six-plus innings. Uh, the last time was 1998 with Masado Yoshi and Eric Milton, and the previous time is 1991 with Armando Reynoso and Ricky Bones. So it was a really fun day to see guys get their opportunity. Um, with Ryan Nelson, it's been fascinating to follow him this year at AAA Reno because he was known as a velo guy coming into the year and if you look at where his velo has been it's backed up it, it was averaging around 93 miles an hour for the year which isn't bad i mean that, that that's not terrible but it's it's much closer to average velocity for a guy who was touching triple digits last season and, and that was a huge part of his profile now he was starting to pick it back up yesterday he was averaging 95 miles an hour with the heater uh he threw it 67 percent of the time so it this was very much a a chance of somebody, you know, trying to establish themselves, just leaning on the fastball, leaning on their bread and butter. Uh, He got six whiffs with it. He got 17 called strikes and whiffs in those 58 pitches. Um, So it was certainly working for him. The thing I was fascinated by was he threw the curveball 12 times and he got uh, a called strike on it seven times. So guys were just laying off the curveball and he was landing it in the zone. Um, which I think is fascinating. If if I was an opposing team, I would try to touch the the curveball a little bit better or at least sit on it um, a little bit more, you know, know that he can land it for strikes and it's not a pitch you can just let sail by. Uh, So that was fascinating for me for his debut. But again, you know, you look at his Reno numbers, they're not great, but I always caution people with the D-backs. Amarillo and Reno are two really difficult places to pitch. Uh, So don't always get thrown off by ERA. Check in on the stuff. It had backed up a little bit for Ryan Nelson, but he's certainly ending on a strong note. Who knows how much of that velo bump was because of a little extra adrenaline, knowing you know, it's your major league debut. Sometimes that happens. Guys get excited. They throw a little bit harder. Uh, the bigger test will come now in start two, as it often does with now the book being out on him, but uh, certainly a a solid start.
1: Yeah. I mean, and I think, you know, it's encouraging that he maintained the velocity, right. It wasn't like a huge dip and he got into trouble or couldn't get out of the fifth inning. And, and yes, you're right. You know, Reno, you always have to take with a grain of salt. His numbers away from Reno, not amazing. Um, You know, I think to his credit, and I think I always think about, you know, pitchers who have to come through places like there or Las Vegas or even, you know, in the Rockies system when you used to have to pitch in Asheville and low A and then, uh, and then you know, maybe Colorado Springs uh, back when, they you know, guys who don't change who they are. And it sounds like he was working on maybe becoming a more complete pitcher. Now, it may have just been that the velocity wasn't there, but he also, you know, may have been trying to figure out ways to be a more complete pitcher. Because I think the question was, is this guy going to be a starter, you know, long term? Because he had that power stuff, uh, maybe it would work better out of the, uh, you know, out of the bullpen and in, in, in shorter stints. Now we don't we don't know what the future is going to hold for him long term, but I think the most encouraging thing is that he didn't let pitching in Reno or the fact that he wasn't having the results he wanted. Maybe change what he was trying to work on, and maybe that's what we saw in his debut. I also think it's sort of an interesting thing, you know, for the for the Diamondbacks to to call him up uh, and you know add him to the forty man roster and give him a chance now. Uh, now I know you as you laid out uh, in, in we've talked about you know you laid out in your newsletter there is an impetus to to have rookies in your opening day lineup. You know, for next year and calling a guy up now, he's not going to surpass rookie status, obviously, if he gets a couple of starts. But it is a curious thing to see a guy with a, an ERA north of five and the batting average against isn't great. and He missed fewer bats this year to, to even give him this opportunity was sort of a, an interesting move by Arizona.
0: Yeah. And, and talking to some Arizona folks about how they handle that at Amarillo and Reno of you know, how do you view a guy it, on one end, Corbin Carroll, when he's slugging about 600? Um, you know, how do you try to measure that compared to what if he was slugging 600 somewhere else in the Eastern League or the Florida State League? Like they have to rely on the underlying data, I think, more than other words. And I think that's what gave them confidence in Ryan Nelson, knowing that the fastball could play in the majors right now, even if, you know, a couple of fly balls uh, in Reno were going over the fence and they, that wouldn't happen elsewhere. Uh, I think they have to to dig in deeper than just the ERA, the stuff that, that we get to see. Yeah, of course. Um, so it's it's going to be interesting when they do give guys calls like that. Um, I'm fascinated to see when they give Brandon Fott his opportunity because uh, he's been great this year at, at the upper minors, uh, even despite playing at, at those levels. But, um, yeah, it's 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 going to be interesting to see what they do with Ryan Nelson going forward. You know, who's he going to be? next spring is this stuff going to catch up to him or is this these couple weeks these few starts that he gets at the end of the year really going to
1: work to his advantage yeah well we'll have to to see what happens when we're going to take a break right now when we return we're going to predict what the top 100 in 2024 will look like coming up next on the mlb pipeline podcast Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive.
0: Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state
2: law.
1: Welcome back to the MLB Pipeline podcast. Jonathan Mayo, along with Sam Dykstra. Last week, uh, we talked about this on the podcast and then had, had a story that you can still find uh, over at MLB pipeline on um, who we predicted will be the number one prospect for each organization in 2024. So not this you know coming year, but the, the year after trying to look a little further ahead uh, into the future. And so Sam had this idea credit where credit is due uh, to kind of, I guess we're not digging down, it's sort of digging up from, from the team up to the top 100. Uh, who do we think will be the top five of our t- overall top 100 in 2024? Uh, you know, right now, our top five in, in the top 100 is Francisco Alvarez at one, Gunnar Henderson, two, Corbin Carroll, three, Grayson Rodriguez, for Anthony Volpe, five. Uh, we obviously think that all five of those players will have long since graduated. Henderson and Carroll are in the big leagues now. Alvarez might have been if it had not been for the injury. Same with Grayson Rodriguez. And we've talked about Anthony Volpe. He will certainly be up at some point next year. So I think all five of those guys will graduate next year. So we're going to need a new top five uh, at some point next year. Uh, 2024, a whole nother story. So, I have, you know, we, we each separately, without showing each other, have our top five. Um, I will admit, looking at my list now, it is very 2022 draft heavy. Um, we'll call it familiarity bias, recency bias, whichever bias. I'm very biased when it comes to this list. But let's go from five to one, Sam. Uh, who do you think will be the number five overall prospect? At the start of the 2024 season
0: yeah you said yours is is really uh draft heavy from this year mine is is a little chalky i gotta say um i i didn't want to just copy the top five that we have who aren't going to graduate next year and make that Mm -hmm. my new top five so when i was looking at who i would put at number five this guy i think could graduate next year and he's one of your guys jonathan so you can correct me if if i'm going to be wrong on this he's already reached double a but I wanted to get a pitcher in here, and my number five is Andrew Painter. I think there's every possibility that Andrew Painter could be the number one pitching prospect in baseball come 2024. I think the only thing that might stop him from achieving that is his ability to reach the majors next year. And I think what's more likely is that he gets a first half of double A. He's at double A now, um, just getting going there, but he's been really good so far. First half of double A, second half of triple A. Maybe a late-season call-up situation, especially if the Phillies are again in the thick of an NL wild card or NL East race come next September. Um, But I think he might fall just short of graduation. And if he does, uh, the stuff as we've seen this year, I mean, he leads – Minor league baseball in ERA uh, among guys with at least 90 innings. He's got a 1.24 ERA in 20 starts, 141 strikeouts in 94 and two thirds innings. It's a fastball that really plays. It's a curveball and changeup that are above average. He has a slider, good control for somebody six foot seven. It's it's kind of insane that he throws in the zone as much as he does. Um, another year of this, and I think he's a top five prospect.
1: You know, I'm all in on Andrew Painter. Of course, I okay. mean, I was pushing I was pushing him hard. I think he, I, I agree with everything you said, um, sort of harkening back to what we we're talking about pitching in tough places. Redding is not an easy place to pitch. And in three starts, he's got a one four O ERA, 15 hits in 19 and the third innings, 23 strikeouts and one walk. So this is a guy who reached double a in a hitting friendly, uh, environment, uh, without looking to see how many, I know he had at least one start in Redding, um, But uh, he did not. You know, he's got a slow heartbeat. I think when he's on the mound. Now, I uh, I wanted to include him, and I wanted to have a pitcher. I think he graduates. Yeah, I think he's dominating so much now that even if he starts the year in Double A, he'll be there for a month. I think he spends the entire second half of the year in Philadelphia. If you told me that he made the opening day rotation, I wouldn't completely rule that out. Now I don't think that will happen, but I think I wouldn't. You know, as young as he is, he's so good. I think he's one of those exceptions to the run. That's the only reason why um, I didn't. uh, I didn't have him in my top five. So uh, my number five is maybe a little bit of a wishful thinking. Uh, You want to call me a homer? You can, but it's Tamar Johnson uh, uh, now with the Pirates, number four overall pick. Uh, You know, this is betting on the hit tool Uh, not that he's a bad defender, but he's a second baseman uh, you know, so uh, you have to really think that the 70 hit grade that he has uh, is legit. Obviously there's no reason to think that it's not Uh, you know, as of right now, he's really, really going to hit. And I, uh, I like him as much as anybody in the draft class in terms of, of that ability to swing the bat. And, you know, he's getting his feet, Wet right now he's actually hit decently since he's moved up to full season ball in Bradenton uh, after the complex league completed. His overall numbers don't look all that impressive, but this is a guy who's got an unbelievable approach to the plate. There's uh, he hasn't shown the power yet. There's plenty of power, uh, and I think that he is going to hit his way across two levels of A ball next year at the at the least, and that's going to put him as one of the best offensive performers in all of baseball. So that's my number five guy.
0: Yeah, no, that's a good one. I like that one a lot. Number four. Number four on my list, and this is, again, this is kind of where it gets chalky because Andrew Painter was number 25 on our list. This guy's number nine. Uh, And I know he's somebody we talked about last week when we were doing the other lists uh, for top team. I don't think we chose him for the Dodgers. I'm going to choose him here just to kind of cover our bases a little bit. It's Diego Cartaya of the Dodgers, uh, 20-year-old. Catcher, no, our number nine overall prospect right now. Just a really well rounded catcher uh, up to high A right now. The power is really played. I saw it last spring uh, when I was down in Arizona for one game or for one uh, viewing session on the backfields. It seems to really play. It's doing that this year. Uh, the feeling grade is above average. The arm is really good. You know, when we look at Francisco Alvarez, and part of this conversation we were having about why he's number one overall is because. The scarcity of catchers. And if you get somebody who can really hit behind the plate, that's really valuable in today's game. And Cartaya, I think, I don't know if he's going to be Alvarez's equal in terms of power, um, but he could at least be his equal in terms of hit tool. And, you know, he's going to probably get his first taste of the upper minors next year. He's got 58 games at high A this year. Uh, He's got an OPS above 800 everywhere he's played in full season ball to this point. Um, So if he keeps moving, Yes, there is, again, it's possible he graduates next year. If he starts out in Double A. quick move to Triple A. Dodgers are talking about him behind the plate by the end of the year. But I think his age at this point, you know, by the time we're talking in 2024, he'll still only be 22 years old. I don't think he's going to quite get there, um, but I think he could be a top five prospect.
1: I, uh, it's a solid pick. Yeah, I, I think it's, it's almost as if you decided the assignment was which guys who might graduate will be the top five prospects. <laughs> um <can> I,
0: <laughs> That's the thing, though. Right? Is that some of these guys like we we like ranking guys who are closer and prove their skills at the upper minors. So you kind oh, of have to walk that line. Uh, no,
1: and and I think you know you and I uh, we talked about him not on the podcast, and I did not choose him for the Dodgers uh, because of the chance of him graduating. Um, so, so I think he's right on that fence. We'll have to sort of wait and, and, and see his current ETA is 2023. That means he could reach the big leagues in September, uh, and it'd still be fine for you. So I, I am, uh, I'm going to join you sort of in the chalk department. My number four prospect is Marcelo Meyer, uh, the Boston Red Sox. He's currently number eight. Uh, you know, obviously, uh, one of the top, uh, draft prospects in 2021 ended up going number four to the red Sox. uh you know we had him at the top of our draft board uh hit his way up to uh up to high a uh where the numbers don't look as good but uh he actually has been uh swinging about well of late he had 353 in august uh you know he's he, he's hitting well in the few games so far very well so far in september so the, he, he's finishing uh, exceedingly strong uh, he's shown some decent power already uh, good power and speed combination he can play shortstop so we're talking about a dynamic offensive player uh, who even with the you know little bit of the of the scuffles uh, you know very early it's only been what 20. 20 games in uh, in Greenville, uh, they started to hit now, but decent decent power, decent speed. You know, 12 homers, 17 steals. He's got an 869 OPS with the defense uh, at shortstop. So he he's an easy top five selection for me.
0: He's actually my number three. So that that we're, that transitions very well. We're
1: saving some time too.
0: Yes. Yeah. You know, the only thing I'll add with Marcel Meyer is I think there's this feeling right now among some people in Red Sox fandom that, you know, there's a debate over Xander Bogarts and and do you extend him? Do you try to sign him? He could potentially be a free agent. Um, And you look at Marcelo Meyer and here we are talking about him as a top five prospect going into 2024. Do you just wait it out for Meyer? Everything we're saying here is really good. Like Meyer could be a really good shortstop. Eventually. I don't think I I let go of a sure thing in Xander Bogarts. You could always move Bogarts around at some point. By the time Meyer is ready, maybe Bogarts is aging out of shortstop. He, he's not always been the most consistent defender anyways. Um, but Meyer is so good defensively that we do believe he's going to be a no-doubt shortstop. How much is he going to hit? It, like you said, returns have been really solid uh, to start his career. I think 2023 is where he takes that to the next level, having now played a full season, having gotten that under his belt, knowing what the grind of a minor league season is like, I think it's going to be hugely advantageous to somebody like him. Yeah. So when all the pieces, all the tools are already there, he just needs the experience. Well, now he has that. And I think now is really the time he goes.
1: Yeah. And the fact that he's finishing strong shows that he actually kind of took care of his body and like sort of had an idea heading in Uh, that's, and that's only going to get better, you know, as you pointed out. So uh, yeah, and I agree with you. I don't think you, make a decision on whether to extend Xander Bogart's based on what Marcelo Meyer might be. Um, because you know, you could move either of them. You could ease Marcelo Meyer in as a second baseman if you needed to. You know, even if you think he's the better shortstop initially. Um so uh yeah, good pick there. Uh all right, my number three, and this is and I, I really do think that the the top three, I'm gonna I, I may guess that we have similar top threes here and, and, and maybe an interesting argument who goes through, but I, uh, I'm going with Jackson trio as, as my number three, um, you know, which may sound like I'm being conservative based on one, what he's done, um, this year and two, what people, you know, what scouts, what executives say about him, you know, uh, the outfielder for the Brewers, um, unbelievable tools across the board. Uh, this is a guy who was, I don't want to say, I'll will speak from the eye. He was not on my radar. I don't think it was on many people's radars. And now he's our number 11 prospect. He was not in the top 100 uh, at the start of the season when we were doing the re-rank We got a lot of feedback and we've talked about him a bunch on this podcast, but the feedback we got from scouts was you could go as high as you want with him. And uh, so we went pretty high, Uh, you know, put up ridiculous numbers in A ball, Uh, the numbers uh, up a level, a little more modest, but still showing off plenty of tools. He's hit the 20 homer mark. He's stolen some bases. I think the only thing that he needs to kind of work on is refining his approach, but he's 18. 18 years old, signed in January of a year ago, and he's already in high A. I mean, this is kind of crazy how fast he's come, and we're all excited to see what he does for an encore next year. But he can do, you know, a lot of everything on the field Sam. Yeah, and I am going to reserve
0: my Jackson Trio comments for a little a later. A bit later on.
1: Yeah. Uh-huh, I had a feeling. All right, so let's uh, let's move on to... Number two, uh, who is your number two prospect?
0: Yeah, so I'm going to stay in center field for my number two prospect, and maybe we share this one, uh, Jonathan. Mine is Drew Jones of the Arizona Diamondbacks, this year's number two overall prospect. As you guys have talked about plenty on this show, a candidate to go first overall. Obviously, the O's went with Jackson Holliday, but I think was Drew Jones was the best prospect in this group. Um, the tools are Crazy uh, crazy across the board, plus-plus run, plus-plus fielding tool in center field. He's got enough arm for center field. That's at least plus. Um, He's got power, which is is crazy to say about somebody with that profile. Normally when we're talking about a really fast runner, it's like, okay, power will come eventually. It's already there for him. Um, The only 55 he has right now for us is the hit, which is crazy to think about. Um, So that's going to take some developing unfortunately he has a shoulder injury right now. So he hasn't gotten any chances to sh- show off those tools in the minor leagues just yet. Uh, hopefully he's going to be back by next spring and, and we're going to be talking about a full season from drew Jones. And if he has a full season and all these tools are on display, like we have him at number 12 right now, all he needs to do is play and he's going to climb the rankings. I have no doubt about that. Um, and I think just his ceiling is as high as anybody we have ranked right now. And that includes, you know, the Corbin Carrolls, the, the Gunnar Hendersons, and Francisco Alvarez's. Uh, he just needs that opportunity to play and take his game to the pro level. And, and that's going to come in 2023. And once it does, uh, I think he's going to be uh, it, predicting here. I think he's going to be a top two prospect and maybe even, you know, very much in the conversation for number one.
1: Yeah. And that's, that's where I put him. So, uh, and I don't have much to add on him, but we, uh, I'll, I'll sort of come back to, to him uh, when we talk about our number one prospects who now, by process of elimination I think we've figured out who yours is and who mine is. Uh, I went with Jackson Holiday uh, at number two uh, the, the guy who went ahead of Drew Jones and, and obviously uh, there was debate you know most people there was consensus that Drew Jones was the, the top talent in the draft class. Jackson Holiday had risen to the point where there wasn't that much separating him and Drew Jones and the Orioles were able to save a, a little bit of money with Holiday. Uh, but this was not a this was not a money saver pick in any way, shape, or form. Uh, this is obviously Matt's kid. Uh, you know the MLB bloodlines all over the place in this in this 2022 draft class. Plus hitter, above average power, plus runner. He's gotten bigger, stronger, and faster. Uh, he's a very good defender uh, at shortstop. He's a left-handed hitting shortstop uh, with unbelievable offensive upside. Who can stay at short for a long time is having a very strong debut uh, in in the Orioles system. So yes, Orioles fans, you're going to lose Gunnar Henderson and Grayson Rodriguez to the big leagues, which is what you want, obviously. Uh, but you've got Jackson Holliday to take over as your number one prospect, but also, uh, in my estimation, will be the number two overall prospect uh, in baseball when we get to 2024. All right. So finally number one and obviously you have jackson churio i have drew jones anything you want to add about Trio churio here and why you picked him in the top spot
0: yeah i i picked him just because everything you were saying before he's he's ticked all the boxes so far he doesn't seem to have been challenged i mean we talked about his approach and that might be the big question mark right now and hearing from people saying like oh well sometimes he struggles with breaking stuff away but the stuff he does get and the stuff he can handle, it's it's really special. Uh, the defense is really good in center field. The only question is maybe his throwing arm. But other than that, I think he's gotten faster this year. It's plus-plus speed now. That's why you know the Brewers initially signed him as a shortstop. They moved him to center field because the speed plays so well out there. He's just so athletic. He's so powerful in a way that it surprises anybody who looks at him for half a second. And then you watch him in the box, and you're like, oh, no, that power plays everywhere uh it's just all the pieces are there talking to his Carolina manager early in this year I'm not usually a guy who asks about comps and I didn't even really ask about a comp but he dropped like this is a guy we're gonna have to press as quickly as the Braves pressed Ronald Acuna Jr. Uh and at the time it felt a little crazy and then everything you've seen since he said like we're gonna have to get into high A soon a couple weeks later he got to high A and he's done well there um so far we could be talking about Jackson Cheerio in the majors by the second half of the next year. Uh, the tools are just looking so good. It, it, are those challenges going to come at Double A AA and A? They might, but he's also shown, shown such an ability to adjust on the fly. Uh, that's why the Brewers skipped him right over the Arizona complex to begin with uh, in the first half of the season. So uh, you were saying before, like the feedback we've gotten is you keep pushing this guy as far as you want and it, there really is no ceiling for him in terms of prospect ranking so that's why i put him at number 1 i mean that's yeah. that is the ceiling that's as far as we can put him
1: it, it's it, i mean it's a strong argument for for sure and i do think and i don't know that i thought of this about this consciously but you know acuña's ascension had been so fast that we barely had time to rank him and i do think that even if it was subconsciously you know when we were you know, when we we're ranking someone like Jackson Churio, t- we had that in mind. Like, well, we don't want to, we don't want to miss, you know, because this is going to happen fast. But it was also, you know, anytime you start getting feedback unsolicited from from scouts, and you know, and Jim likes to tell us, like, he doesn't do the Brewers, I don't do the Brewers, but we had people telling both of us about Jackson Churio, um, you know, <laughs> which I thought it was really interesting uh, that it's not often that scouts will be like, wait, you, you know, you, you need to rank this guy. So I absolutely can see that. I went with Drew Jones at number one, uh, you know, for all the reasons that you laid out there. I think he's going to be fine. It's a shame that we didn't get to see him because of the shoulder injury, but I'm not, I'm not too concerned long-term. I don't think that's going to impact any of the things that he does really, really well, uh, even if his arm isn't quite as strong as it was. It, was uh, I'm not too worried about it, and I do think you know it's interesting. So you didn't have Jackson Holiday in your top five at all. So Orioles fans, Sam Dykstra is his name, <laughs> um, which which is fine. Maybe he's number six on your list. We didn't go. We didn't go much farther. But this is a like looking at the players that we laid out, uh, and even if some of the guys graduate, I, I think this is going to be a very very strong top five. And even looking at that combination of trio, Jones, Meyer holiday, say, I wonder if we're going to be looking at whoever's our top three and having the same sort of conversation as we did with Adley Rushman, Bobby Witt Jr., and Julio Rodriguez in terms of all three incredibly good, all three getting there at around the same time, all three with a very strong case to be the number one prospect.
0: Yeah, that's certainly been the theme of the last two years. I mean, I've been working with you guys for two years now, and and we had that discussion beginning of the year with Adley, Bobby, and, and Julio and then we had it in the middle of the year with Alvarez, Carroll, and and Henderson. There always seems to be this kind of coalescing around a big three. I I don't think this is how it always works, but it it seems to be heading that way. And and you can kind of see the guys who are already laying the groundwork to be part of that next big three or even next big four.
1: Awesome. Well, that's our top five. Book it. Sam and I will make sure that it comes to pass so we look really smart when people look back at this episode. Uh, But right now, we're we're gonna take a break, and when we return, We're going to pick some top performers in the complex leagues and answer, of course, your mailbag question next on the MLB Pipeline podcast. Welcome back to the MLB Pipeline podcast. We're on the home stretch here. The one set of leagues that have completely finished play in the minors are the complex league, the Florida complex and Arizona complex leagues. It's rookie ball. Um, I mean, I guess the Dominican Summer League also. But in terms of stateside, uh, you know, the the A-levels finished things up this week. So we'll have more on those leagues uh, as the minors sort of finish uh, as we complete this 2022 season, which it boggles my mind um, that we're kind of done with a minor league season. Um, along with Sam Dykstrom, Jonathan May, and we're going to take a look at some of the top performers overall in the two complex leagues. Um, you know, a lot of times uh, th- this is where draftees go to get started. Uh, it's a first stop for international players uh, to get their feet wet playing in the United States. Um, so we each picked a hitter and a pitcher, uh, from the complex leagues overall who stood out. So Sam, why don't we start with your, uh, hitting all complex league hitting all star.
0: Yeah. So mine is, and we're going to kind of keep these two ranked prospects as best we can here. Um, so my hitting guy is number three Mariners prospect Gabriel Gonzalez. Uh, making his stateside debut this year, played in the DSL last year, was a February 2021 signing, $1.3 million. So obviously Seattle believed in him to begin with, um, but really took off this year at the Arizona complex, batting 357, had an OBP of 421, slugs 548, at five homers in 35 games, also five stolen bases, uh, an OPS of 969. Um, I, I just find it fascinating when guy, when guys are pushed when organizations decide hey listen you've already shown enough we need to get you somewhere else at such a young age we were talking about jackson churio before he's a pretty great example of that gonzalez didn't skip over the arizona complex league he played 35 games there like i said uh but he's already at single aid modesto now uh the mariners seem to know their guys really well right i mean we we know that going back to julio rodriguez of him getting pushed aggressively, Gonzalez is kind of following that path right now. Um, so to see him already hitting 300 in Arizona was certainly promising. Um, solid tools across the board, probably best as a, an above-average runner and an above-average fielder. Uh, but if the bat is coming around this quickly, we can be talking about Gabriel Gonzalez a lot more in years to come.
1: The guy that I'm I'm picking for a hitter, you know, the, uh, at first glance the numbers. I think I went a little more sort of prospecty. Um than the pure numbers, cause Rainey Duncone of the Dodgers did not put up huge numbers in the Arizona Complex League. Um the power numbers were good. 16 doubles, a triple, and nine homers in 51 games. Hit 256, finished with a 789 uh OPS, which is not you know, doesn't blow you away, but he finished second in total bases with ninety-six. Uh, you know, he showed a, an incredible approach at the plate. Um, I think he finished tied for the, the complex league in extra base hits with 26. Um, played both second and short. They also moved him up to, to full season ball to finish out the year. Uh, you know, I think it's interesting. It's the one we'll call it an advantage of not having the, the short season leagues that we used to, where I think guys like this would have been moved. To that level, as a sort of half step up, step up, now get a chance to get a, a taste of full season ball. And you know, Duncan, what stands out about him as a prospect uh, is is that sort of advanced feel for the plate. And uh, this guy did not strike out a ton uh, for a guy who showed a lot of power. He may end up at second base when all is said and done, but it's an advanced bat uh, with a chance to hit for average and power. And he showed that you know right out of the gate. Uh, in his uh, United States debut. He, he also was a guy who played in the Dominican Summer League a year ago, and so he was moving incrementally up uh, the Dodgers system. 27 on the Dodgers, number 27 in the Dodgers' top 30. All right, your pitching prospect.
0: Mine is number 20 from the Yankees organization, Luis Serna. Uh, Serna, you may not have heard much about before this season, Uh, signed in May, 2021. He was purchased out of the Mexican league. He played for the Yucatan lions. Uh, He only received a $50,000 bonus. So he's not necessarily already going to put himself on the map with that. But then you look at the way he performed this year in the Florida complex league Uh, among pitchers with at least 40 innings. He ranked second with a 1.96 ERA. Uh, His K rate was 32.2%, which was fifth best in the league. Uh, he had a FIP of 2.86, so this isn't somebody just benefiting from a strong defense or something like that. He put up good numbers on his own. Uh, I'm fascinated with him as a prospect. He only stands five foot eleven, but in Jim's write up of him, he says he already has a plus changeup. That's his best pitch. He throws a sweeping slider that the Yankees love. And one thing the Yankees are also been really good at in recent years is you know developing those sliders. At if you already have spin rate, we're going to make it move like nothing else, but we also are going to make sure you add velocity. So right now he's only sitting 90, 91, topping out at 93. And he, yeah, again, he might be only five eleven, but I trust the Yankees to add velocity to that. And if he keeps the change up and the slider becomes a plus pitch on its own, I'm not saying he's going to always have a sub two ERA moving forward, but um, he could put up some special numbers and be the next Yankees pitching success.
1: That's a good one. I, uh, I'm going to go. You pick a guy five eleven, so you know it makes sense for me to pick a guy who's six foot six. Harlan Susana. People might recognize the name only because he was one of the prospects sent from the Padres to the Nationals in the huge Juan Soto trade deadline deal. Um, and this is the, you know, talk about size, you know, he's already six, six, 235 pounds. So he already looks the part and he's got the stuff, uh, to, to go, to go with it with a, a fastball that touches triple digits. He's got a really, really good slider. That has a chance to be a plus pitch. Also, uh, those are the two standout pitches He'll fold in a, a low eighties curve. And, you know, he's working on developing that change up often, uh, a pitch that comes a little bit later, um, you know, for, especially for power pitchers, pitches. And, you know, this is a guy who was the, the top pitcher in the international class that, you know, with the signing period opened just this last January, signed for $1.7 million with the Padres and went straight to the United States and pitched, you know, in the complex leagues and then has been moved up and gotten some time uh, in, in A-ball as well. He has missed uh, a ton of bats, as you might imagine, uh, overall, thirteen point two strikeouts per nine. Um, he is limited damage. The one thing he hasn't done is limited his walks. It's, uh, and you know listen, he's young and he's big and he's a power pitcher. So that's the one thing that's going to have to come. Uh, you know, it's he's walked four point two per nine over the course of the year over forty one innings. Uh, not outlandish. Uh, when he first got to the Nationals, uh, you know, struggled a little bit, uh, but. Uh, you know, he's walked 5.7 in his, his limited time in, in A-ball. So I think that's the one piece for Susana now with the Nationals. There is time yet for him to to work on that. But between the size and the pure stuff, uh, certainly a guy to keep a, a very close eye on.
0: Yeah, touching 103 already in, in A-ball. I mean, we're talking about complex leagues here, but when he was closing out his first inning with Fredericksburg and his last strikeout was 103, um, I think the entire capital region just erupted <laughs> in, in saying, "Like, oh, this guy's a future Cyon." We'll, well, yeah. See. Slow down. But
1: let's pump the brakes. Yeah.
0: If he's doing this already, it's it's gonna you know make all of us it, very. It's
1: a good sign with the usual caveat disclaimer of guys that young who throw that hard. Let's wait and see. Yep. Um, so we'll say, all right, let's finish up uh, with the mailbag as we always do. Uh, this comes from Spencer O'Gara, who I would say is a semi regular contributor to our to our mailbag and, and pipeline inbox. Do September Major League call-up performances ever affect off-season re-rankings? You talk about ignoring small sample sizes all the time. Thank you for getting that message. But what other info is there to use for early year rankings? Specifically interested after Ryan Nelson's debut, but insert name here for talking point. Um, so, Sam, you know what? I'll let you sort of uh, uh, take a stab at this uh, At this first, and I'll pay you back off of what you say.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, I think the answer is we take all data that's available to us, right? Like, yes, things happen in small samples, and, and we don't want to look too hard into that. But if a guy plays four weeks in the, the majors and doesn't graduate, like that's another data point either in his favor or in his detriment. Um, it, it depends on what that looks like, right? Like if a guy is hitting 100, and striking out 45% of the time in the majors, that's going to hurt his his outlook, it, no matter what we think of, like, oh, well, it's a small sample, maybe he'll adjust at some point. Um, but if, if it's just your everyday struggles and things that, you know, we think he can adjust moving forward, I always say, like, Mike Trout struggled hmm. his first year in the majors. Yeah. Um, and it, the shine didn't really come off him, and then all of a sudden he was Mike Trout uh, in all capital letters as a major leaguer. So... You, you do take it into consideration, um, especially if you're somebody like Ryan Nelson, who, like I said earlier, was showing a velocity dip in AAA this year. Now he's pitching in the majors. Now that velocity is back a little bit. Um, so that's interesting. That That's now something we will take into account moving forward. Now what happens in start two, start three, start four? We'll wait and see how, how the velo looks there. But it's all data that I think we're taking in and considering because as much as it's a small sample, it still counts. Right, Jason, yeah. Jonathan?
1: Yeah, yeah. No, I, uh, I I agree with that. And, and and I think some of it depends on just how small a sample it is. You know, it, it's interesting. You bring up Mike Trout, which is the example I bring up all the time. Anytime a, some prospect comes up and and struggles initially uh, and even then goes back down, which is what happened with, with Mike Trout, that was a fairly substantial small sample because he you know, he got as close to losing rookie status as you can get and still be considered a rookie. So it was a decent amount, uh, but this was a guy who had been so good, uh, and, and and that's not even, that's underselling what he was doing in the minors to that point, uh, that, you know, there was still a firm belief that he was going to figure it out. You know, Ryan Nelson is sort of the flip side of a guy who, did not have huge success in the minors than then did in one start. One start, we're not going to suddenly be pounding the table for Ryan Nelson to be a top 100 prospect. Um, and he may never be a top 100 prospect, but if he gets starts for the rest of September and say he makes three or four more good starts, and, and even if they're not all great numbers-wise, but the stuff is there and things like that, there's no doubt that that's going to help him move up the Diamondbacks list. And I think that's true of any of the September call-ups that we've talked about You know, you you don't want to go too far in any direction, but if these guys who got called up either at the end of August or right now and they get regular playing time for a month at the highest level, sure, that has to matter because that's the the whole idea of prospect rankings is we're trying to project what kind of big leaguers they're going to be. And here's some data, whatever size it is, that shows exactly what kind of big leaguer he is right now. Then it will be up to us and the people we talk to to determine what that means in terms of that ultimate projection. You know, I always like to say that our rankings are kind of based on what kind of big leaguer is this player going to be five, six years from now, not what is he right now? That's why scouts use present and future grades. We don't do that anymore, but that's kind of what you're, what is he eventually going to become? And to your point, this data speaks to that to an extent without digging too far into it.
0: Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, and it also depends on other ways that we're looking at them. Like Corbin Carroll right now, there's an argument to be made that he is the fastest player in the major leagues. And if he struggles with the bat, that's still going to be true about his speed. Like there are other aspects that we have to evaluate. Mm-hmm. Um, he's still looking really good defensively. Uh, all the pieces are there for him to still be a, a solid prospect no matter what he does offensively because we've seen what he can do offensively for the previous going on what five months now. Right. Um, So if, if everything else plays, we can kind of not disregard it, but look into that as well. Like there's multiple pieces here beyond just what's on the back of the baseball
1: card. Absolutely. All right. Good stuff, Spencer. Thank you for uh, that excellent question. Look for more answers to your questions in this year, in this week's pipeline inbox later this week. That's going to wrap things up for this week's MLB Pipeline podcast. Don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts so you don't miss an episode. And if you're enjoying the show or you want me and Sam to continue our world domination, have any other suggestions, leave us a rating and a review. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week.